Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, folks. I hope that you had a remarkable weekend. Mother's Day is is something special. You know, the majority of individuals that I have ever run in contact with have a mother. And some people snicker at that, but not everybody had a mother. And here's what I mean by that. Some of us grew up and, and we were orphans. Something happened to their parents. They they didn't grow up like the average person. And when I chat with folks like that, it's amazing to me because each one of them, although they may not have known their biological mother, someone came into their life as that mother figure. And this weekend was amazing. Uh, my wife and I were sitting in church and and they gave away some prizes, and she just happened to win a wonderful massage at a very elaborate and elite um, spa here on the island, so she was excited about that. My girls, my 17-year-old and 16-year-old, made this her weekend. I didn't really I didn't really have much to do with anything on Mother's Day. Paige and I went out to dinner on Saturday night, and then the girls ushered me and Jetty out of the house yesterday, so we hung out at the at the arcade and the and the pizza place here in town that he loves called Fat Daddy's and we had wings and a hot dog and we watched a movie on the on the big screen and then we went in and, and played games and he won a lot of stuff and and we came back home and the girls had been doing pedophores and menophores or something. I don't have a clue what they're all called, but they had a wonderful time. They really showed and here's where this ties into this. They showed their mom their love. It wasn't just, I love you, Mom, big hug and gone. They took time. No boyfriends, no youth events, no socializing. They invested their whole weekend showing her how much they loved her. And I thought that was pretty cool. I told her last night how proud I was of her being their mom and how proud I am of the girls of showing her that because I think it's important. Today we're on dedicated, stick to your values in all circumstances. You know, Joel Mamby, I saw his book, it was at the bookstore now, it's it's getting raising up on the bestseller list. If you are, are somebody that wonders, does it work? I'm telling you, love works, whether it's in the family or in the workplace. Joel starts off this chapter, he says, one of the primary roles of a leader is to give hope. This can be done in a variety of ways, but is consistently achieved when clearly, I'll say that all over, this can be done in a variety of ways, but is consistently achieved when clarity of vision, missions, and values is coupled with a strong financial success. You know, I stopped right there. I I was drinking coffee. I was looking out over the harbor, and I really pondered that for a second because... It's one thing to, quote-unquote, lead with love and I'm going to be a good guy and I'm going to treat everybody right and your financial picture's in the hole. It's a whole other thing to lead with love. Inspire your, your team or your employees and increase the bottom line. We've seen this at Apple. We've seen this at at Starbucks especially. We've seen it now at at, at HFE. We've seen it in a variety of of new companies, what I call millennial companies. And I wonder if some of the old conglomerates can learn from this. 
Joe says, leading with that kind of love requires dedication, but the payoff is huge. Such dedicated love will create hope and enthusiasm in the organization. Man, I just, I love that. And he starts sharing a story. This is a story that I've read and studied over and over. But let me let me share it in Joel's words. He said, two millennia ago, an, in, an intense Jewish preacher named Jesus of Nazareth called his friends together for a dinner. This wasn't like the normal meals that the group had enjoyed, however. Jesus knew it was his last meal. The next day, he'd be executed by the Roman government. So on that final thought, Jesus had to decide how to summarize his teaching so that his 12 followers could carry on his message. Now he sat there, let's just say, and he, or let's say that Joel sat there and thought of all the options he could have used. Number one, he could have given them a written scroll that summarized all of his teachings. We know that some great teachers have done that. Number two, he could have given them money to expand their ministry. We know some evangelists that have done that. Number three, given their divine power, he could give them divine powers to make believers of the skeptics. That'd be interesting. Or number four, introduce them to leaders who would have political influence. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I'd have picked number three. Let's just have the divine power to make everybody that are skeptics into believers. But it's interesting how Joel takes a a story about a preacher from 2,000 years ago and brings it into today's thought process. He says, however, he surprised his friends with something so unexpected that it echoed through the ages, changing even the way organizations in the 21st century in America are led. As his friend John later remembered, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What would happen if you're on an executive retreat? Y'all have been out four-wheeling, playing in the mountains, doing that team exercise, you know, climbing, obstacle courses. Y'all come in and and the water doesn't really work in the showers, or there's just too many of you. So a group of you say, look, man, let's just, just, just grab a meal. And the CEO happens to be there. He looks around and realizes, man, everybody's got their shoes off and their rank. I think I'll just take the time to wash everybody's feet. it freaking blow your mind. See, the culture in ancient Pakistan... Such a gesture was considered the ultimate humility. It bordered on humiliation, to be quite honest. See, only slaves and servants washed other people's feet. And given the most of the twelve disciples were gaining conviction about the divinity of their leader, Jesus' actions struck them as more extraordinary. There's something else that that we need to to bring into this story, if you all don't know it. The majority of the disciples, if not all of the disciples that were following Jesus, those those twelve, 
were were men of influence in their own communities. They they had money. They had what we would see as power. They had they were respected, even though they had decided to to leave their careers temporarily and follow Jesus. So it was really weird. Peter, who who owned owned him and his brothers owned fishing vessels. I mean, we're not talking about a rowboat. I don't know why people make that out there. We're talking about gigantic fishing vessels like today. They threw nets over the side. Strong pirate-like men would pull those nets up and they'd have fish. Peter's family was so affluent, his mother-in-law owned her own home. And if you study the cultures of the Hebrews and the the Jews and the Romans and the Greeks, you know that women didn't own anything. I mean, that was so taboo. So for her to own her own home showed that probably when her husband passed away, instead of their oldest son taking over or a son-in-law took over, she was such a powerful woman that she kept her own assets. Peter says this, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus must have seen the confusion in their eyes because he said, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you will not wash my feet. Hmm, interesting. Very egotistical. Jesus said, Unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. See, what I get from this isn't some spiritual revelation it's the fact of the leader he decided to serve his followers see if we will think about this then everything that we do in life will come with a wait a second and we will think about other people goes back to the golden rule do unto others as you would have them to do unto you servant leaders do this See, if you lead anything or anyone, we automatically know that we have power. Society tells us don't give up that power. That power is to be used, sometimes abused. But see, when you lead with love, you surprise everybody because really what you're doing is saying, I know I have the power, but I'm not going to abuse it. Eric Parton, who's one of my best friends, accountability partner, he's also my preacher. Yesterday we were we were over setting up, it's storming out like crazy. I asked him a question. And and it was basically, Hey dude, we just brought in these new coffee pots. Do you want me to pack up the old coffee pots, put them in the box? A simple question. He's the head honcho of the church. And here was his response. Troy, that's a that that's way above my pay grade. We need to talk to Kim about that. She's she's in charge of that. Don't ask me. I don't know. He's he's in, he, he he's her boss. He runs the whole cotton picking thing. He could have said throw them away if he wanted to. He could have said box them up, but instead he said I just don't know. That's that's not my deal. That's hers. A simple thing, but when you think about it, he didn't supersede her authority. I kind of like that. Went right along with this. Joel says, in my experience with the Hershen family entertainment, most people who have any type of leadership role focused 
on power. That was before he went to work for them. How to accumulate it, how to wield it, how to hold on to it. They had no intention of giving power away. No intentions, in other words, of leading with love. After all, doesn't the notion of showing love towards employee mean the leader is soft and weak? It's to such a degree that when you think about it, here's what happens. And I, and I truly find this remarkable because this is what we see happen. People in power are told, don't fraternize with your subordinates. We look at it as taboo if, if a couple hook up at work. I don't mean sexually. I mean, I mean uh, two single people decide to fall in love, and it's through work. People say, whoa, was he your boss? Are you playing up to her? You're trying to get a better. You know, we we picture all this crap instead of realizing, hey, you know what? What what a what a better way to lead them with love. What 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 a better thing to do than to put that power aside. See, we we lead sadly, we lead out of fear, and we don't even realize it. See, great leaders. Do all those things and also understand how to lead with and incorporate love simultaneously. Now that in and of itself is very, very powerful. See, when you can lead, you can accomplish the financial goals and your team and your employee become better people, sky's the limit. I've shared this story before. We did a whole series. You can find it in the archives here at realmentorsradio.com. Howard Schultz came back out of retirement to lead Starbucks. The employee morale had gone down a little bit. Wall Street's morale had really gone down. The customer experience wasn't what it had used to be. The company was all over the daggum place. And Howard said, we're going back to the basics. And the first thing we're going to do is take care of employees. When the company's stock was at its worst, and they had a stockholder's call, and the, and, and the stockholders were demanding cuts so that their profits would go up. And somebody brought up, well, let's just cut the health care benefits to all the part-time employees. Howard Schultz put his whole career on the line and said, no, absolutely not. The baristas and all the employees of Starbucks, just like at HFE, know that their their bosses love them and they lead by example. That's what great leaders do. And yet we see companies all the time getting busted for making mistakes. I'll tell you one that's sad. This this weekend I saw that Jamie Dimon's company, J.P. Morgan Chase, is going to get just kind of throw by the wayside the most powerful female broker on Wall Street. She was part of the team that, that just insta- – well, basically they were doing a an investment that went bad and the company lost $2 billion. And I know $2 billion is a lot of money. The company losing $2 billion is is literally, just in this quarter alone, is probably like you losing a $5 bill out of your pocket. 
And I say that because they're, they're, they're making huge profits. But because of this $2 billion mistake, and it was a risk that they took, and it didn't pay off. Don't get me wrong here. A bunch of people got terminated. See, when you lead with love, you don't lead out of out of a, a public opinion. What you say is, you know what? This team just cost us two billion dollars. We just have a we just got a two billion dollar education. Why would we fire them? Let's make sure they learn from their mistakes. Let's all learn from this situation. Let's move forward and do things right. That's what people do who lead with love. But why is it that nearly three-quarters of the leaders, public or private, doesn't matter, have a difficult time using both their power and love, especially under stress, especially in the last two or three years, four years, since 2008 when the market crashed? Why is it that none of us seem to, to see that? What what is what is it that that we can't get? What is the problem? See, that's the issue. That's the problem that we have that we've got to try to figure out. That's the problem that if we won't ignore it, if we will focus on leading with love in our families and in our op- opportunities, in our careers, in our positions at work. We can change things. How would productivity go up if the people that worked with you loved to work with you, had a passion for being at work? Joel says, at HFE, we think Jesus' example of leading with love by washing the feet of his friends is a powerful and pugnant reminder that love really can change the world. Love works even when it seems counterintuitive or upside down. Now, some people on the call may be saying, dude, that's kind of, why would a company, a publicly traded or a privately traded profit company, public or private, doesn't matter, why would they do this Jesus thing? I mean, that's kind of religious, isn't it? See, one of the things that they do is after the people that work for them have gone through their leading with love training, They give them this beautiful statue of Jesus washing Peter's feet. It's called the Divine Servant. And here's what Joel says. This isn't about religion. Some Christian employees choose not to receive the sculpture, while employees of other faith or no faith faith at all cherish it. And here's why. We focus only on successful behaviors, not particular beliefs. The sculpture is simply a physical reminder of a truth that can be trans- that can transform any organization. That the use of power need not become the abuse of power. See, one of the things that just burns my butt is apparent, and I do my best not to do this is when one of my children say why, and I say, because I told you so. Because I said it. We'll talk about a pompous, asinine attitude. Why is it that when an adult asks us a question, we, we will most of the time calmly say, 
well, this is why. And we share and we explain it. But yet when when kids or teenagers or young adults ask us a question that we're supposed to love and cherish and be trying to lead in a direction, we tell them, because I told you so. I mean, talk about weird. But yet we do that. I know that's a rabbit trail, but think about it. How can you lead your family better? See, that's the key. Leading with love puts leaders in a profoundly different role than they're used to. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But if we will lead with love, when we will look at those around us and do what we we know we would want done to us, we get more out of it. I had a, a, an email come in this weekend from somebody that totally disagrees with me about a company that we've been reporting on. And he wrote this email, and his opening paragraph said, Troy, I love the way that you are so respectful to people on your blog who disagree with you, even those that are truly more mixed up than you are. He said, over on such and such blog, all they do is chastise people that don't believe the way they do. See, that's the difference between somebody that that loves critical thinking, loves to debate, loves to see both sides of an issue. You know why I'm that way? Because I grew up in a family that said, you've got to love Jesus, you've got to be at church. And I got to be a teenager and saw all of the pompous, hypocritical crap that goes on in church. And I said, you know, I don't know if I need this crap. Why would I want to feel guilty for sinning when I could just go out and sin and have fun? All these other freaking people that are supposed to be in the leadership, they're out doing this crap. So in my quest to find out if I really wanted to hang out and believe this Jesus stuff, I wanted to find out is there really just a, a God up there that would send his son, make him half human, you know, or that's that's how the world sees it. He was all human, all all spiritual, but, you know, how, how can this God man come down? You know, I mean, it takes a lot of freaking faith, I'll tell you that. But see, on my quest, I realized that there are people on both sides of the equation those that we would call atheists and those that we would call Christians. And they really are respectful of each other. Matter of fact, Seth Godin, one of the greatest marketers of all time, is a known atheist, but yet he comes and hangs out at Catalyst, which is run by a boatload of Christians. And we have these gigantic brainstorming sessions together. Amazing, isn't it? When you lead with love, what can happen? Instead of trying to downplay somebody's beliefs, that's why I hate the political season. You know, the Democrats would want you to believe that everything they say is right and everything the Republicans say is wrong. The Republicans would want you to believe they're the only ones going to heaven. The Democrats are going to hell. And the independents, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, this is, this is the way it is when really we should be loving each other, respecting each other's beliefs, respecting each other's opinions, and communicating correctly. That's what Jesus did. That's what Joel's saying is lead with love. It's funny, when we do shows like this, they have some of the lowest listeners. But yet as time goes by, they become the biggest downloads. It's because people, I think, start to ponder, could could it work if I led with love? Could If I became a a, a person that really led with my convictions... 
See, this probably, this is where it gets really freaky with goals. Because a lot of people write down goals and they say, okay, this is what I have to do to achieve my goals. Most people don't ever set down, this is probably why I hate the word goals. Nobody ever sets down and says, what do I have to be in order to reach my goals? See, goals and, and leading with love all kind of go together. You may say, Troy, why would you transition like that? Here's why. Because as a leader that's leading an organization, you have financial responsibility. So when you lead with love, it doesn't mean that you're soft or you're weak. See, if one of your goals, like, like at HFE, because I've studied their company, it is to lead with love, to be a servant leadership, then, then that's, their, that's their main objective. Their do goals would be like make sure we have a strong brand, make sure that we have safety at our parks, make sure that we're managing our resources, good stewardship, make sure that it's a great place for people to work, that all of our hosts, that's their employees, love what they're doing then they're able to reach their mission, which is create memories worth repeating. See, when we sit down and say, I want to become rich, what kind of goal is that? Maybe if your being goal happened to be, I want to be able to make an impact in this world, and you get very specific in what you want to do. In my case, I want to be able to lead the next generation of leadership by giving them nuggets of wisdom within the network marketing arena, really any arena that I touch. See, this is what happens when you're really leading right. Who you are, the values you stand for, that's who you that's what will be the catalyst to allow you to reach those goals and do what needs to be done on a daily basis to achieve them. And when you keep that main objective, your 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 values and your principles all intact then you're able to lead through the tough times with patience and kindness and trusting and unselfishness. You're truthful and you're forgiving. And that's what it takes. See, the dedication to lead with love isn't just a theory. There's several international for-profit and private corporations that have proven it works. Tom Shoes leads with love. Vima Nutrition Company leads with love. Starbucks leads with love. 2110 leads with love. HFE leads with love. See, when you think about this, it works. But you've got to be dedicated to leading this way. You need to go buy Joel's book. I can't do credit. How, how can I even do credit in 30 minutes when we're, we're rolling through it like this instead of you being able to sit and ponder like I do, drinking a cup of coffee, watching the dolphins spin, taking each word and just chewing on it a little bit. Go buy the book, Love Works, Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leaders by Joel Mamby. It'll be worth your investment. Tomorrow we finish this book up, A Choice you make it's going to be interesting and it's going to challenge you and that's what this radio show realmentorsradio.com is all about folks have an awesome fantastic day remember live life like an epic adventure and we'll be back here tomorrow morning on realmentorsradio.com